It's a joy to welcome you to church this morning. We enter into the second Sunday in Advent. Advent is this four-week season of preparation for Christmas. Uh, it's a countercultural sort of preparation and season because culturally Christmas arrives about mid-September, it seems. Well before October and Halloween come along, you're already encountering scenes culturally for Christmas and ways to especially purchase things that show your Christmas cheer. And so Advent is for us in some ways quite radical where we say we need four weeks before we even get into Christmas. Advent literally means coming or arriving. And we as Christians anticipate the coming and the arriving of Jesus by waiting. It is above all else a season of waiting. That's what we do in the Advent season. But it's a particular kind of waiting because we wait in all sorts of ways culturally, I think. And most of them we want to avoid. Waiting, I think, is something we don't particularly enjoy. We think of waiting as something you want to get through as quickly as possible to get on to the next thing. Kind of like going to the doctor's office and having to sit there for an hour. You're forced to read People magazine for an hour. <laughs> waiting on an appointment you don't even really want to go to at all to begin with. That is a form of waiting we don't enjoy. We want to skip out on. But there's other kinds of waiting that I think we do enjoy. Uh, think of an engaged couple anticipating their wedding day. That is a waiting that brings with it a longing and a yearning and an anticipation. Think of a man and a woman anticipating the birth of a child. That's a kind of waiting that also is infused with hope and dreams and a longing for what's to come. And so even the things that may seem mundane in between, like preparing a nursery or buying clothes, they're actually ways that you take steps towards that great day, that thing you long for and hope for. And that's what this season is for us. And I think that helps us enter into the story we encounter in Isaiah and in Matthew. If you would, take your Bible out and turn to Matthew 3. It's where we'll spend most of our time this morning. Matthew 3 on page 808. If you were here last week, you heard Father Paul in a beautiful way remind us to look to Mary that the Virgin Mary is for us a picture of what humanity's response to God should be. She is, as it's been called, the first disciple. She's a picture of saying yes to God when he approaches and draws near, of opening ourselves up to receive God. And what we see today, though, part of the reason Mary is so beautiful and such an example to us is the Bible is also filled with generation after generation after generation of people who have not responded that way, of people who have failed to open themselves up to God and people who have failed to be faithful to the promises they have made to God. And so we have to wrestle with that today. It's a passage in the midst of all of the cultural cheer and joy and Christmas uh, lightheartedness that this season brings. We come into Advent too and have to wrestle with this theme of repentance and realize that we may not be as ready to greet the Lord Jesus at Christmas as we think we are. And so it's a hard word for us to hear. It's a word of warning and a word of challenge, but I think the Lord wants us to have ears to hear today. We encounter in verse two perhaps the most famous words we have from John the Baptist. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent 
for the kingdom is at hand. John's foreshadowing Jesus' own words that come in the next chapter where he says the exact same thing. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And to talk about the kingdom of heaven, I think, is for us to talk about the end goal, the the vision of what we long for, what's our destination. In the Bible, you don't use that language quite as much, but the Bible uses the word hope a lot. What is it that we hope for? What is it that we set our sights towards and then are journeying after? And I think for us, hope is something we can all relate to. Hope is one of the most basic human emotions. We all hope for something, whether it's a job, whether it's a relationship, even in hobbies. These are all things that we have hopes for and we think of that end goal. What's that job that I want more than anything? What do I want that relationship to be? What do I want to be able to do? We keep that hope in mind and then everything we do leading up to it is anticipating and leading towards that end goal. And it's no different in our faith journeys as well. We must have that end goal in mind where we see the kingdom of God and the hope that we have in Jesus so we can make any sense of what we're doing in between. So we can make sense of the days that we've been given. Are they actually journeying towards an end goal or have we lost sight of it? And if we lose sight of it, our entire discipleship journey gets scattered and confused and we can wake up 10 years from now and say, what happened? Where did the time go? because we're not actually clear on where we're headed. And this is a real danger for us in the church. N.T. Wright, the retired Bishop of Durham, has this great quote where he says, what we have at the moment in the church is not as the old liturgies of the prayer book used to say, the sure and the certain hope of the resurrection, but instead we have a vague and a fuzzy optimism that things will work out in the end. We need to know the difference, frankly, between American optimism that says things will probably work out because they just do, and actually say, what is Christian hope? The sure and the certain hope of the resurrection, the certain hope that God is drawing near and his kingdom is at hand. Because that's what I think we should understand. When when John says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, to say the kingdom of heaven is at hand is to say God's close. God's closer than you think, and he's drawing near. He's getting even closer. And as he approaches, John is saying, you need to therefore take inventory of your own life. Take stock of where you're at, because God is coming. And as he draws near, he brings with him hope and peace and justice. And part of that justice means the things that oppose God and stand against him and his kingdom are dealt with. The Old Testament, if you were to do a grand survey, it begins with God stating his desire for creation, where he says, I want to bless the world. I want the world to flourish and teem with life like a garden. That's where the story begins. God makes this promise to a certain people, and he says that even in brokenness, even in face of your failures, I want to bring my blessing to the world, and I'll do so through a people. That's what Genesis says, I will bless you so that you can be a blessing to the world. But most of the Old Testament, if you were to then sum it up, tells the story generation after generation of God keeping his promises even when people fail to keep their promises to God time and time and time again. Because 
God expects something of us. In Genesis chapter 17, when he makes these promises, he also says of his people, walk before me, be blameless, be my holy people, and yet we fail to do it. And the Old Testament tells that story time and time again when God desires to heal and restore even in the face of brokenness. And the way he does that The Old Testament, the way God brings that healing or calls his people back to those promises is through prophets. We have many books in our Bible, if you were to flip through them, that are the prophetic books. And what unites those books together is throughout all the different circumstances, times, and places, is it's people who have broken their promises and God speaking through a prophet, calling the people to repentance. Repentance literally means turn around. Stop the direction you're going and go another way. And he's saying, you've strayed and wandered, and so I'm sending this messenger to say, stop, repent, turn around. John the Baptist has been called the last of the Old Testament prophets, and he is for us a bit of a bridge then this morning, a bridge between those messages of repentance in the Old Testament, but also pointing us into the new fulfilling actually many prophecies in the Old Testament. In Malachi and Isaiah, we're told that a messenger will come who will prepare the way of the Lord. And that's what we see in John the Baptist, the messenger coming saying, repent for God's kingdom is at hand. Repent because God is coming near. God is drawing near and has drawn near in Jesus. Our reading from Isaiah lends weight to the Matthew passage. Isaiah says to us today, then shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit. We use the language of family trees, don't we, to speak of our lineage throughout generations. And this quite literally is giving us a picture of a family tree. Using that tree image saying that there is a stump of Jesse telling a family story, but also telling us straight away that something's gone wrong isn't it? Trees aren't meant to be stumps. When a tree's a stump, it means something is wrong. If your yard was full of stumps, no one would come and say, look at those beautiful stumps. They'd say, what happened? And that's kind of the story of the Old Testament. We could say, what happened? This people that's meant to bring life, to bring the garden to creation where we encounter the goodness and the love of God where the nations come and sit in the shade of this tree and eat from its fruit. Instead, it's cut down to a stump. And so this tells us a family story, the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesse's family, David's family, the people that are meant to bring fruit and life into the world are instead cut down like a stump. They've failed, as Matthew says in verse eight, They failed to bear fruit, keeping with repentance. In Isaiah, the picture we're given is of a tree being cut down. And if you read chapter 10 before, it's actually a picture of a forest where the whole people of God are viewed as a forest. And the forest is being deforested. The forest is being cut down because of their failure to keep their promises, because of their sin and their rebellion. But it's that picture that then immediately follows into this picture of Isaiah that gives us hope. And I think we have to understand Isaiah to make any sense of, especially verses 9 and 10 in Matthew, if you still have that open, with that image in mind, the stump of Jesse, hear these words. 
Verse nine, do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And now verse 10, even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So I was walking through the church this week. I paused and noticed the nativity scene here. And it was like a light opened up and shone down from on high and it said, here's the object lesson of all object lessons. This is a preacher's dream right here. In some ways, you probably have not paid much attention to this. We've had this for a long time at Christ Church. And it is for us kind of the quintessential Christmas scene, isn't it? We have the animals and the wise men and the shepherds all gathering around the babe in the manger with Joseph and Mary looking on. I want you to ignore everything there except for the tree. We'll get to everything that's inside the tree on Christmas morning. But every single week from now until Christmas when you come to church, look at the tree. Because it's not a tree, is it? It's a stump. See, what, a, what an object lesson for our lessons here today. It is a stump. And it tells us two things. It tells us there is incredible hope because even when a tree that's meant to flourish and be full of life has been reduced to nothing, Isaiah says from that stump, a shoot of life springs forth. That is pointing us to Jesus and saying even when everything's gone wrong, when we would say what happened, God keeps his promises. We're told God is faithful even in our brokenness. And so the picture of everything in this scene that gives us the hope and the meaning of this season, the fact that it's set in a stump is both tragic and so incredibly hopeful, isn't it? Yet it's also a warning. Today it's also a warning because if I had a giant object lesson to have an ax as well, I could bring it up because in John the Baptist's words were said, even now an ax is laid at the root of the tree warning us again, the tree that is meant to bear life has become a stump as of old, and if you do not repent, you will be found to be dead trees, just like the forests that were deforested. You will be found to be driftwood that needs to be discarded and cast aside. And that's the warning we have today. Part of repentance, I think, is waking up. It's inviting us to wake up to God's work in our midst, but also wake up to the reality that we aren't as ready to greet him. We aren't as ready for this scene to arrive as we always think we are. And that's part of the message in Matthew 3 as well, when he speaks to people who aren't ready. He says, don't assume because you have Abraham as your father that everything's okay. He could say to us, don't assume because you're in the American South and go to church week by week or grew up going to church that you're ready, that everything's okay. We need to look for that final day, that vision of God's coming kingdom, the hope that that brings, but let it animate the way we live today. Because if we don't, we'll be caught off guard. That's the theme of last week. Part of the theme of the readings in Advent 1 is it tells us be alert and be ready because when God's kingdom comes, so many people will be caught off guard. They won't be ready and they'll be swept away. And it's not just that final day, but if we aren't mindful of that coming kingdom, if we don't do the work in our hearts to prepare, we'll be caught off guard 
just throughout life. You'll be caught off guard today or next week or in the weeks that come because life has a way of sweeping you off your feet and catching you by surprise. Things that you didn't see coming that give you cause to fear or grieve or doubt or question. And if we aren't people who are rooted in anticipating that last day, we won't be ready. Advent tells us to wake up. The kingdom of God is at hand. What are you gonna do about it? There's a temptation to put this off, I think. We say, we'll get around to this because repentance is hard, it demands something of me, so I'll do it when I have time. And part of the message today, I think, is there's an immediacy. The ax is laid now at the root of the tree. Choose today how you will respond. St. Augustine was famous in his day, as we would say, for being rather promiscuous. And in his confessions, he has this great prayer that he prayed where he said, Lord, make me chaste, make me holy, but not yet. And in a sense, he was enjoying and loving his life so much that he said, I know the life you want for me. I know what you have for me and the life of repentance you're asking of me, but I kind of need to get this out of my system. I'm not quite ready to go there yet. And so make me holy, make me your son and your daughter, we could say, but not yet. We can't pray that prayer. Advent doesn't let us pray that prayer. It says, choose today how you will respond because God's coming. God is coming and drawing near. Each week we say Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. It's not just nice liturgy, it's not just flowery language, but it sums up so much of this Advent season. Christ into the darkness of our world has come in the manger. Christ is this very moment ruling and reigning, driving out darkness. And yet where there's brokenness, where there's still longing, we still look to that final day and say Christ will perfectly drive away all sin, all brokenness and all darkness. That's what we celebrate. But we have to ask ourselves as we look back, as we look to the present, as we look to the future, how do we respond as Christ draws near? Like Matthew says, will we be like the wheat that's gathered into the barn, or will we be burned up, consumed, like chaff in a fire? Will we be trees that flourish and bring forth life and fruit, or will we be like stumps, discarded, cut down? As we wrap up, I'll tell you a story that I think many of you can relate to. I was blessed as a child to have a good relationship with my father. I enjoyed spending time with him, and as a little kid, as most kids do, when he would come home from work, I looked forward to that. Most of the afternoon after school, I would long, you could say, for when my dad would be home. Uh, And even though I'm sure he was exhausted, uh, he made time for me and my siblings, took time to be with us, and it was a joyful time as he came home. Um, Most days. Some days, if I had been just a wretched child, awful to my mother, you know, a jerk to my siblings. You've never had to do this, I'm sure, but my parents with me had to do this, where they would say, my mom would say, go to your room till your father gets home, he can deal with you. (laughs) It happened more than once. On those days, I wasn't all that excited about my dad coming home, as you might imagine. I was actually filled with dread and fear because I, I was not ready. I was not ready to greet him with this loving exchange. Instead, I had been disobedient and was 
a different kind of anticipation. And what's interesting in that is nothing changes about my father's schedule, about his rhythm. He's just coming home from work as he did every day. What changed was whether or not I was ready to receive him. And when I was, we met each other in love. And when I wasn't, there were consequences. And I think even in that simple childlike image, there's a lesson for us. God is coming. Advent tells us, if nothing else, God is coming and has come in Jesus. And we need to say, are we ready? And when he comes and when we encounter him, do we greet him with joy and longing and anticipation? Or does he catch us off guard? Does he catch us where we'd rather not meet him because we're not ready? That's why the church gives us Advent. Advent is a gift to us to say, rather than letting Christmas catch you by surprise, take a month and search your heart and say, am I ready to truly encounter the joy of Christmas? I'll close with one other childlike image. One of my children's favorite hymns, Christmas hymns, is a little town of Bethlehem. During the Christmas season, we sing it often. My kids love it. And in that hymn, both the beginning and the end, I think beautifully sums up for us everything we've talked about today. It's a hymn that begins reminding us that things aren't how they're meant to be. And yet, even in the brokenness, there's hope. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The hopes and the longings that God would fulfill his promises, the fears that maybe he wouldn't, the fear that maybe God has forgotten his people, all of that is answered in the incarnation. All of that's answered in Christmas. And yet that simple childlike hymn also reminds us that we aren't always ready. And Jesus offers to make us ready. And so it ends with these words. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.